Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. It's our last week of our uh, For Love series. And if you've been trekking along with us, you'll know that we've been talking through the four different Greek words for love, uh, storge, philia, agape, and uh, eros. And um, of course, agape has been kind of woven in between all of those. And today we finalize, uh, final, (laughs) what am I trying to say here? Uh, This is the final week of our For Love series. And we're going to end it off basically with a Q&A on, uh, on Eros. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of spicy questions that came in. Um, I'm just going to pull them up here. So basically what we're going to do is we're just going to end off with um, providing hopefully a biblical worldview for um, processing through what it looks like to see um, Eros. And of course, maybe just for those of you that missed last week, Eros... Um, so often when we hear the word eros, like the root word of erotic is, is eros, um, but it's not, not as much about the thing as we learned yesterday or learned last week, which is it's not as much about sexuality as much as it is about um, when two romantic partners have such a deep love for one another that they're obsessed with one another, that there's this, there's this love and this infatuation with the beloved, not necessarily the thing that the beloveds do. And so Eros kind of flows out of that. And so as we're talking about this, I mean, it's so interesting when you get into like asking questions and you kind of open it up for anybody to ask questions about anything around the topic of Eros, as much as um, the real focus of Eros is actually on like how much I love Emma as a human, the questions that continue to come in are like, uh, like within dating, it's like, where's the line? Like, <laughs> it's like, well, well, it's really about like being obsessed with the person that you're going to marry. And they're like, yeah, I don't care about that. Like, where's the line between like what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do? Or when it comes to marriage, it's like everything comes back to sex. So um, uh, if you've got young kids in here, which I think we're okay in this service, um, and you don't want them to hear the word sex over and over again, um, you should just uh, take them out at this point or, or cover their ears or give them an iPad to watch. I don't know. Um, but there's going to be a lot, of, um, a lot of discussion on that, but there's going to be more than that because, again, Eros is, is more than just sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason why we often have so many questions when it comes to sex is because it's something that the church for a long time has talked about in a way that it's like, don't do it until you get married, and then do it and never talk about it. Right. And so by having this discussion, even for some of us in this space, it might feel like, ah, this is uncomfortable. And as we said, it's not all about sex, but it's important. The reason why there's so many questions that come in and come in anonymously and we don't see who asks whatever else is because this is something that people are really wondering about in their marriages, in their dating relationships in life beyond sex, but just intimacy and how do we love each other well and how do we do these things? And yet it seems to be a bit of a taboo topic. And we just need to change that, in the church especially, right? That, that this is something God created, that this relationship um, is something that reflects Christ and the church, that this is a significant thing. So let's talk about it, and let's not be embarrassed by it. This is an important thing. So I think that's why so many questions do come in, because we're so curious and, uh, and need help and answers around it. Yeah. 
All right, so we're joined here by Beth and Jared. Um, Beth and Jared, obviously, uh, you, you guys know them. Most of you would know them. They are they lead here in our, well, you kind of lead across all of our services now. Um, Jared is our associate pastor, and Beth supports him in leading all the teams that have to do with our Sunday gatherings. So um, they've got a few things to say, I think. We're going to start with a really easy one um, just to kick it off because then it's just going to go straight into the deep end. So, um, guys, what best date night ideas? What, what it, you guys go on a date every single Monday? Yeah, but we ran out of ideas a while back, and then we just kind of stopped going on date nights on Mondays because we just oh, used wow. up all of our gift cards. So, um, it's now a counseling session. Yeah. <laughs> date night ideas. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. You answer this one. Well, I was going to say all the things we used our gift cards on. We like movies. We like going to dinners. I don't know. I think, like, we we do some of, like, the quintessential date night things, but we also try and, like, look for opportunities to just talk at home, too, or bake that into date night if we're going to go and see a movie because it's one thing to just, like, sit in the dark and be like, cool, good date night. See you next week. But it's another thing to actually, like, prioritize and make the time to go through, like, how is our marriage and, and how are you feeling? Has there been anything this week that's been hard for you? What's been the best thing out of this week for you? So... I think any time that we take to, like, talk intentionally is, like, our good. Those are the best date nights for us. Um, I mean, the, the, the truth is, is that it's important to continue to date your spouse. We all know this. Um, but it becomes more and more easy to not do this. Like, for Em and I, over the last six years, we've had four kids. And it can be easy and tempting to just not, uh, not date one another. And by dating one another, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. But in many ways, we, what we don't want to have happen, for the younger um, couples in the room, what we don't want to have happen is the kids move out of the house and we don't know who we're married to. Like, we don't know them deeply. We're kind of like, man, my connection to you is through our kids. I kind of enjoyed parenting more than being married to you. And what we see is that's like a, a really interesting time for couples where a lot of couples actually end up in divorce because they just stopped, like, loving one another at some point in their parenting journey. But for those of us that grow older, there's nothing more, like, like, kind of like, um, uh, I was going to say unsexy, but that's not the, that's not the word I'm looking for. It's, there's so many questions on sex that I'm like, my mind's just primed for it. But uh, uh, th there's nothing more romantic than seeing a couple that is older that is still deeply in love. I still watch my grandparents every once in a while, and I say every once in a while because it's cute when they do it. But uh, like holding hands while they're walking, they're deeply in love, and they're joking with one another. And um, I remember my, my pal, my grandfather, used to call my grandmother Slim, and she was anything but Slim. But, um, but for them, it was like this very endearing thing, and every time he was like, get over here, Slim. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're so cute. And meanwhile, these people are like as hard as nails. Like they were like tough, they went through difficult things, but somehow, like he found a way in, in their brokenness as individuals, as they got older, he found a way to keep, keep loving her better and better. And uh, it, it wasn't that hard. Like, at the beginning of their marriage, like, it was pretty far from that. But um, we have to keep um, uh, loving one another. Emma, why don't you um, share, our, like, our marriage meeting and what we do through that? Because um, that might be a good help for people. Yeah, oftentimes uh, in marriages, we get caught up in how do I talk about some of the business things that need to happen in our relationship? Because they're, uh, running a family is a business to some extent, right, of... Who's going to the dentist? Who's taking this person to soccer? Did you pay that bill? Uh, when, is, when are the winter tires getting changed in the car? Right? There's these types of conversations. Um, and yet we want more than that. We're like, when is there space for that? So there's this thing called a marriage meeting. It's really a revolutionary name. 
um, where it's really just half an hour, and there's four components to it. Uh, the first one is appreciation. So you sit down with your, your spouse and you talk for a few minutes just about things you appreciate about them from that past week. Um, for some couples, this would be like uh, water in a desert, right? Because we just don't necessarily verbalize what we appreciate about each other. And then you go into some of the business components of what's coming up, what needs to get done, what's going on with the kids that week. So this is a weekly rhythm that you have. It's not date night, it's just half an hour out of your week. Um, and then you go into fun, and you talk about something that's coming up that's fun for both of you. This might be planning your date night, and then also things that you're doing fun for yourself. You know, I'm, I'm training for this, or I'm doing that, or whatever, I'm going out with the girls, whatever it looks like. So that you just have fun in your relationship being planned for. It doesn't always have to be spontaneous. And then the last piece is feedback. And this is where it's important that it stays half an hour because you don't need to launch into this whole big conversation. Uh, but just giving feedback of like, hey, when you said this in front of all these people, like it bothered me or, you know, could you start picking this up around the house a bit more? Whatever that looks like in your relationship and just receiving that feedback, writing it down. So you both have this time that's actually set aside in this space so that when one is sitting down at the end of the night to, trying to relax, the other one's not coming in being like, hey, by the way, we've got this, this, this going on. and we got. I'm so guilty for that. It's ridiculous. I do that all the time. But you actually have this space set aside. Since Lucy's been born, we've not been good with marriage meetings. So it's become a lot more like, hey, by the way. Blah, blah. Um, but you have this space set aside where both of you are sitting down, um, planning, ready, mentally prepared for this. Uh, half an hour, and it's just going to help that flow because you're doing it every single week. And that also helps communication, uh, which I know there were some questions about. Yeah, the next question um, that, that came in uh, that we want to deal with is, what is the best way to support your spouse through a difficult season in their life? Um, I, I can't imagine that either of you guys went, have gone through anything difficult ever, um, but if that were to happen, how do you support your spouse well through that? Yeah. I think um, one thing that I've learned a lot over the last, like, we, we've only been married for, what, three or four years now? And so, three years? Yeah, okay, three, four years. And um, This is a good start, guys. Yeah, <laughs> good start. But in that, but in that, but we've been together for, like, seven or eight years, and in that, we've gone through a, a lot of stuff, a lot of really challenging things, both in both of our families, in our uh, church community, just in our individual life, and I think that in each of those things, like the major thing that I've learned is the value of, of patience with your, with your spouse and value of patience with your partner. There have been seasons in my life where I've taken a long time to come around and change something that's been going on. Maybe that's something deep inside of me or a habit that has just been this way my whole life and you've been very patient with me through that and vice versa. There have been some challenges and so it's just having that patience. But then in that patience also challenging that person in a way that is helpful. I don't think there's a lot of space in our relationship for me to just like wallow around in self-pity. You often are just like, yeah, you need to figure this out and just grow up. And it's like, oh, okay, you're right. And I, I know that for myself, I don't have a lot of patience for that either of just like complaining or, or getting frustrated and not doing anything about it. And so there's this edge on both of us that, that is like, hey, I love you, but you need, to, you need to sort that out. And so speaking directly, but also just having a lot of patience and, and not getting frustrated. Like, man, we just talked about this like last month and the month before that. Why haven't you figured this out? But going like, hey, what do I need to do? And even asking those questions, like who do we need to bring into this? And, and being open to that stuff. Like on the other side, like there are things that I'll go through that you'll be like, you probably need to talk to somebody about it. I'm like, mm, I really don't want to do that. And then you're like, have you talked to Brandon about this? Or have you talked to your dad about this? Or have you talked to X, Y, and Z? And, and so just challenging each other on the, the way forward to resolving whatever that, that issue is or that challenge is, or the way forward in getting the support around that that you need. Yeah, I think the other thing that we can often um, 
just like misunderstand in our, our own hearts and minds when it comes to our partner going through a difficult season is the power of prayer in that. I think it's easy to be praying for yourself all the time, but sometimes forget that like when you have a spouse, like no one is going to go to bat for your spouse like you will when it comes to prayer. And if you're not doing that, who is? And so when they're going through a difficult season, like you're not the only person involved in that equation. Like if you have God at the center, he's also in that equation as well. And so um, there's just so much power in actually bringing that to God first instead of having those conversations and wondering and maybe you're, you're noticing that they're lacking in something and you're really nagging them to bring them along in it. Like, what would it actually look like to just bring that to God and trust that he can do the work in their life and, and then also pair that with that, that support and that um, just emotional awareness when they're going through a hard time. But I do think that we really do underestimate how important prayer is for our spouse as well and, and having that be part of something that we're doing often. Is anybody, like, convicted when, so, when you're in a room and somebody brings up, like, prayer as an option and you're like, dang it, like, what's wrong with me? I like, that's, like, the last thing I think of. It's, like, in my life, like, why, and, and there's this saying, this uh, cliche that, that sometimes gets tossed around, like, prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Um, I think that's, like, speaking faith into our lives, because for me, prayer is often a last resort. It's, like, I've tried everything. Okay, God, like, could you do something, maybe? And it's, like, but this is what we believe in our faith, is God can really do something. Okay, I think this is probably a question for, um, uh, Emma and Beth, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that because I opened up last week that I never imagined there'd be a, a time in my life where I didn't want this, but I think that probably proportionately, it's mostly, uh, well, I'll read the question to everybody to understand. As a married couple, how do you get in the mood for sex if you're constantly feeling drained, tired, touched out, all the rest? Um, I feel like, I mean, we don't know that all this was anonymous, but I feel like this was a mom that put this in. Uh, touched out, um, that's, a, that's a mom question. Uh, too many kids hanging off you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, sex is a two-way street in a lot, of, a lot of ways. So there's this element that sometimes it can feel like, oh, this is like something that I have to do um, or something that, you know, I know is good for our marriage or that sort of thing, and we're just tired and we're drained. I think we have to take responsibility. And trust me, like, us up here, we don't have everything figured out. That's not the place that we're coming from. But there's an element of taking responsibility and ownership for yourself and asking for what you need. So if you need a bit of rest, if you need a bit of space, if you need um, time, like this question, and I, I think this would come from a lot of moms specifically, um, this question is much bigger than just uh, physical intimacy in the relationship. It draws to the place of going, okay, maybe there are there's a need for rest in your life if you're feeling like intimacy with your partner is something that you can't um, get to because you are so drained and you are so touched up, then you're probably having a difficulty um, serving in church. You're probably having difficulty uh, calling your mom. You're probably having difficulty doing a lot of things because you're drained and tired. But when it comes to this specifically, um, having communication with your spouse about what the desires actually are in the relationship. If you're only talking about sex when you are uh, engaging in physical intimacy, you are missing out in your relationship for communication. So really this comes back to that again. Um, like maybe you're thinking, okay, my partner wants to engage in sex this much and, and they actually don't or they, you don't actually know. There's so many assumptions that go on there. So just get honest with your partner about what that looks like, what the expectations are, what the season is, what that means. And you might need to say to them, hey, like if you're thinking like tonight would be a great night, 
let me know early in the day so I can just be aware of that throughout the day and I can get myself mentally there and mentally in the mood and those sorts of things. You can ask your partner, okay, maybe I just need these different things that are going to get me there, not just kind of like as I'm totally tucked into bed, ready to fall asleep, closing my eyes, you know, there's all of a sudden like a push on my foot at the bottom of the bed. Like what, you know, that you might, you might feel like you need to, no, that was not, that's not, it's not how it happens ever. I don't know. I was trying to give general things. I work, I should say, I work with a lot of couples in um, marriage therapy, and so I hear a lot of variety of stories and situations. So when I'm talking and referencing things, it's not just what happens in our relationship. I'm talking more generally of what happens. I'm going to let Beth continue this response. Yeah. I don't know. I think when it comes to this one specifically, it's hard when, especially from the female perspective, there's always this thought of it being tied to, like, the mood. Because I think, like, honestly, if you think about some of the fundamental ways that females are wired versus males are wired, if a female is always just waiting for that opportunity to be maybe in the mood in the same way a male is, you're going to be waiting for a long time. <laughs> Especially when it comes to motherhood, there's so much more that goes into, like, sex and physical intimacy than that. And so I think, like, again, communication is a really big thing. One of the things that I think you and I have tried to do well is just, like, be in be in this, like, with each other's best interests in mind. Like, I, I trust at the end of the day that Jared's not going to, like, push me to do something or to engage in something if I am, like, visibly exhausted and he knows that. He has my best interests in mind, and I have his best interests in mind. So if I am also exhausted, but it's been, like, a week of exhaustion, I'm actually going to mentally be like, okay, there's, it's not just me here. Like, Jared is in this as well. We need to actually talk about that together. And I think it's also just good to remember that, like, when it comes to sex, like, God didn't design that just for men. Like, it's also great for, for women, too. But sometimes you can, like, get a little bit worked up in your head about what that's going to mean and what that involvement looks like. But it's actually just, like, a really refreshing and unifying experience. And if that means planning for it in your calendar, I don't think that's, like, an unsexy thing. Like, I think it's actually okay to say, like, these are, <laughs> these are the times that we're, we're going to know we're going to plan for this. But otherwise, just having that open communication of, of here's what my needs are and here what, here's what my needs are and actually trusting each other and knowing that like we're in this for each other, I think that it can flow a little bit more naturally out of that, especially in busy seasons of motherhood. That's good. <coughs> and I think for guys, like, um, uh, like honestly, guys just always take the, um, well, not always and not all guys, but a lot of guys will just take the position like, well, I'm, the way that I'm wired, I just need more of it and kind of hold that over our spouse. And it's like, well, um, if, if you're just looking for a transaction uh, when it comes to sex, well, then it's kind of on you too. Because at the end of the day, we know that, like the number one thing my pastor told me before we got married is your wife needs to be wined and dined. And then like three years into marriage, I just like completely forgot about that. And I'm just like, uh, you know, doing the little like foot touch, I guess. Um, which I just, I just can't imagine me doing ever like, like so bashful. Um, but like guys, like just like <laughs> maybe just put a little bit more effort into it and be okay with certain seasons where it's just not as readily available. We've had four kids in six years. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun having, like having those four kids. But honestly, like those are the seasons in our lives where like, um, sex has been at its lowest just because of what comes with pregnancy. If your spouse hasn't gone through this, well then, um, just prepare your mind for that season. That's going to be different for a little while both uh, pre-birth and after birth. Like, it's just different. Um, but then it gets to a pretty good place. And I think after having three kids, we were like, 
holy smokes, like, this is awesome. Like, this is better than it's ever been. And then we had another little one come along the way. And it's like, I'm not holding anything against Lucy. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Okay, um, let's, let's take the same question just to, because there, not everybody here is married. So somebody did ask a, g- a good question that, uh, um, that is kind of related to this. And then we'll jump to not some non-sex questions and then back. Because, again, people are really curious. Um, what do you do uh, when you, so this is, that was kind of like in the, in the dating section. Um, what do you do when you've already crossed the line physically with someone in the past? It's a good question. Um, like what do you do in that same relationship if you cross the line and you're trying to backtrack a little bit? Uh, I didn't submit this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think for both. I think if you're in a relationship and you've kind of gone too far and you've acknowledged that together and you're both like, oh, man, we stepped over some lines, that boundaries that we had placed, and, and now we're kind of like in this spot where this is now really challenging. Like it, it will be challenging like in, in the future if you kind of push those things early on. That's why purity is, is really important over that period of time because if you jump in too late, uh, or jump in too far too early, you're going to have a harder time backtracking off of some of that stuff and, and maintaining just um, boundaries that are healthy throughout a dating relationship. But if that's the case, it's not impossible. I think you just need to bring like people that you trust in as soon as you can and have conversations with them and then um, and just allow that like openness with other people. That's like the biggest thing in dating relationships, man. People put all this stuff on lock in dating relationships. They don't want to feel really guilty about all this stuff and they carry it around and they're like oh man like they don't know like what the line is as if there's like a line that you cross or don't cross and and they don't know like you and I had a great conversation about this like a a long time back in um, some different areas of life too where you talk about different gates and different boundaries so like if this is like the real hard like stop line here's all the things that we're going to do in order to not get get us to that place and so I think making a plan is another important thing if we don't want to end up where we've been before what's our game plan for not ending up there again I remember like you and I when we were dating we had this uh, note and I'm glad that it's still in my phone because I've used it a couple times for other people it was just like here's like the thing that we don't want to do and here's all the stuff that always leads us to that thing and so here's all the things that we're just not going to do and if we start down that road we'll catch each other but we brought like other people in to help us kind of like navigate that and understand that and so again I'm talking real practical about like lines and boundaries and stuff there's deeper things that kind of cause that and spark that but in a practical sense inviting people into that is like the number one thing Inviting people that have good, like, wisdom. Not going to give you bad advice, but people you trust. That was good. Um, I want to move on to, um, because our conversation kind of came out of even a season of my life where I struggled with pornography. And we are talking about this idea of the gates. And I think this is something that impacts a lot of us in the room, whether or not we want to open up about it or not. Um, I, th- I found it interesting. I think it was, it was like Harvard or Stanford was trying to do a test, and they wanted a, a test subject. They wanted to find test subjects that had never looked at pornography before to see what the effects of sin or sin. Good Freudian slip there. Um, see what the effects of pornography were on the brain. And so they were trying to find a test group, and they couldn't find enough people. Like they they just searched all throughout the universities, searched all throughout America, couldn't find a large enough test group of people that had never looked at pornography to know the effect that it was having on everybody later on down, like, down the line. And so a question that came in was um, the, dangerous, the dangers of porn and how to know how to reach out, to, uh, out for help uh, if you're constantly cycling, cycling back. Um, that question of like, like how, how do you, um, that we were answering previously, which was uh, along the lines of like, if you've already gone somewhere physically, like how do you kind of like mitigate that? How do you protect that? Um, it can be applied to this question around pornography as well. 
And uh, it, I used to like kind of think about it like, um, uh, like I like to hike a lot and I like to do a lot of trails. And um, there's a trail by our place actually we were just on yesterday and we're walking through it and they have all these signs like no trespassing, no trespassing, no trespassing. And that's all to keep people from outside the neighborhood from going through this trail because it's private property. But um, when, it actually comes to, when it actually comes to the actual trail, you can actually, like there's a sign that says, okay, these are the rules of the trail once you get past all these signs. And so the actual trail to get to the real trail is really tiny and it's overgrown and it's hard to find. And I approached it yesterday and I was like, oh, maybe it actually is closed. Like maybe we're wrong about this thing. But it's interesting um, because if you go to like Algonquin Park, which I go to a, um, a decent amount with Peter, like the trails there, like especially some of the main trails, are so wide and well beaten that it's like it's very obvious how to get down that trail. And I used to think with like just sin in general, whether it's an addiction or whether it's like um, like pornography or it's uh, sexual things within a, a, in a relationship before marriage, whatever else, is that the more you travel that path, the easier it is to travel that path. And then of course, what we learn is that like a number of years ago, all of a sudden, um, neurobio, neuro, um, neuroscientists, that's right, um, started talking about neuroplasticity. And what we know is that our brains are actually wired that way. So the more we travel a path, the more we're, like it's easier for us to access that path later on. And so it's interesting when Jesus says like, uh, wide is the gate that leads to hell, but like narrow is the gate that leads to me. Um, in, in many ways, like, it kind of lines up with the way that we treat sin because the wider the gate gets, the wider the path gets, the easier it is to travel. And so even when it comes to something like pornography, the, 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 the best way to combat it is to, like, put up these gates that Jared was just talking about long before the, like, act of looking at something. Like, maybe it means not bringing your phone into, in, into your room. Like, maybe it means just putting it somewhere else. Maybe it means having somebody that you tell when you're just failing in that area. Maybe what it means is... Um, uh, you know, getting what, uh, this software that it puts on. Uh, Dan didn't like what I was saying. He's like, <laughs> uh, maybe it means software on your computer or on your phone that, that doesn't allow you to get to that place. Rather than just like, ev like, like this is, the, sometimes I think, uh, you know, about my life and some of the things that I've struggled with, and I don't know why it is when all of a sudden the worst thing is done that we go like, oh, I should do something about this. But what if we were like, you know what, the sign of like bringing my phone in my room or like starting to like broadly search like beach on Google Images, just like because you're like, I don't want to do it, but like maybe something will come up, you know? Like what if we like set it at that and we started to get honest with those people in our lives where we're like, at that moment, it's like, you know what, it's kind of embarrassing, but like last night I searched the term beach on Google Images and they're like, why are you telling me this? And it's like, but I know what I was actually looking for. Why don't we like hold ourselves accountable a little further from the actual act? Because I think there's a lot of us in here that we're just like kind of embarrassed that this is something we're struggling with. And maybe it's that you're a woman and you're struggling with this. And it's like, well, this is kind of like a guy thing. It's like, no, th like this, we know that this is like a, like a, a, it affects all genders. It affects all areas of life, all relationship statuses. And it's important to actually set this, um, this back a little bit further. And just before we jump forward anymore, I want to also say, too, like, it's something that a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people don't ever talk about for fear of, you know, judgment or fear of, uh, like, just shame being heaped on top of the shame that already is existing and feeling. So just to double down on that, I feel like there's a decent amount of people, even in the last little bit that I've been able to chat with, and the conversation, like, 
you can tell they're like surprised by the reaction when we're having conversations. And I remember times in my life where I struggled with this a lot more and, and the conversations that I had where somebody didn't just like lay on the guilt and they were like, hey, like you're actually doing better than you think you are and let's walk through this. It was, it was like game changing in my life. And so if you are struggling with that, find somebody in your life to talk to about it. And if you're somebody that somebody goes to to talk about it, don't just like freak out and be like, well, you really got to fix this, man. Like just like listen to them. And, uh, and let them know, like, hey, it's all right. You're going to move forward. God's still working in your life, and it's going to be okay. And so I think that that's actually a really important thing. And I would really encourage people to just open up that conversation a little bit more in your life with people that you trust. I know we have a lot of questions to get to, but I think it's important that we just kind of lay down. When we're talking about purity, when we're talking about um, these sorts of things, obviously we're talking about them from a Christian perspective. And depending where you go to get your advice and where you go to get... I'd really encourage you to get it from wise Christian counsel. Um, you may have gone to a marriage therapist who says, maybe you should watch porn together as a couple. Like, that's not an uncommon thing to be shared in this world that we live in. Um, but let's not, like, put lipstick on sin and think that that's going to solve our problems, right? So when we're talking about purity, we're talking about it outside of marriage, inside of marriage, what it looks like as an individual to walk in impurity. And so we're, we're talking about all of this based on Christian uh, principles, based on scripture, based on these types of things that talk about marriage as a covenant, that talk about like in marriage to Christ and the church. Um, so when we're talking about marriage, it's not just like, oh, we had a great wedding and it, it was this lovely thing. We're talking about purity and, and a covenant that we've made with another person. And so when we look at scripture, it talks about sex needs, really ought to be the proper place, the proper order for sex is within a marriage covenant relationship. Now, if you've messed, like just going back to that question before, if you've gone too far physically, if you've had sex with other people in the past, if your partner hasn't, but you have, and, and it can feel messy, it can feel, there is forgiveness, and there is grace, and some of us walk around like we are broken, and that is not what Jesus has done for us. If we surrender this to him, if we confess our sins to him, he forgives us, and he forgives you. So maybe you've been walking around with shame and guilt over your um, past when it comes to uh, physical intimacy, when it comes to sex, when it comes to these different things. And I just want to tell you that there's actually complete freedom in that. It doesn't mean there's not consequence. It doesn't mean that there's not things that you're maybe going to need to work through and how do I do that. But it's okay to actually walk around forgiven and whole um, in the midst of this. So I just wanted to kind of speak to some assumptions that might be uh, being made here. Um, but that's the perspective that we are speaking out of and coming out of. Okay, let's jump to this. Can you give some advice or tips on how to navigate or prevent the five, seven, ten-year itch in marriage? How do you keep marriage fresh and exciting through each season of your life? Um, some of us are laughing at this question because we're like, could you talk to, like, the 20-year 20, 20 itch, the 40-year itch? Um, but, like, I think the question is asking is, like, hey, when it just feels like, ugh, like, uh, I got to do life with this person. Um, what do we do? Um, Emma, why don't you speak to this a little bit? We're, this year's our 10-year Yeah, why don't you speak to it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's something that's really key in marriage. Um, we often talk about communication, but I think even more so, there's an element of humility um, that needs to be present in our marriages because Typically, we want to point at our partner and be like, if they would just figure this, 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 and this out, we'd have this great marriage. And if they would just stop doing this, and if they'd start doing that, and they, you know, we can have a lot of feelings about it. And uh, 
And so the person we can actually control is ourselves. Like the person that we can actually do something about is ourselves. Um, we can encourage our partner. We can encourage our spouse. We can uh, talk to them and bring feedback and all of these sorts of things. That's great. And that, that needs to come not at this level of co communication, but like at this level of communication with humility and having that conversation of what does that mean? What does that look like? But the person that we actually have some agency over uh, is ourselves. And what can I do? How do I contribute to this? Sometimes we actually just have to learn the art of closing our mouths. Um, and that's actually going to help our relationship. Uh, because in that moment, we actually can't get anywhere, right? And we can't do anything uh, with what's happening because our bodies are just physiologically uh, kind of completely overwhelmed with what's going on. And we just need a moment to actually breathe and bring our heart rate down um, in a conversation or in, a, in communicating. Then there's this element of just like, oh, this person, like, is this person I actually want to be with? Is this person that I actually, you know, this person looks more interesting or this person's taken a liking to me or, or this person maybe is more compatible with me or maybe I didn't know what I was doing my younger self when I committed to this person or my spouse just isn't being awesome or, or being great when it comes to this. You know, sometimes there's this, this element of um, we chase love because that's what's being thrown at us all the time, this idea of love. Uh, but as Brandon was talking about last week with Eros, love is so much deeper than just this image on a screen or just this, this idea or this romance that we see in society. There's so much choice involved in that. Um, and if you're struggling with that a lot, I would, I would encourage you also, and again, coming back to this, praying, God, help me to see my spouse the way you see them. Help me to engage with them in a way that um, helps our relationship. Uh, help me to work through. Would you show me what I need to work on in the relationship? So being humble with each other, um, and also letting other people into it. We're not meant to, you know, go through life alone. Uh, we need to let other couples in. So if you're struggling with something, you just can't get past something or there's something going on, go to another couple. Or I would, I always encourage to go to therapy. I think that's a great thing. Uh, but I know that it's a hard step to get over for some people. Uh, but go to another couple and, and actually discuss and talk. A couple that you see uh, doing the things that you want or the relationship that you want to have, and they're kind of exuding that. And just talk about things that you're struggling with, and it can be any number of things, and I think that's going to be helpful. Okay, let's do some rapid fire on some dating questions. So, like, uh, 30 seconds or less. Ready, Beth? <laughs> Ready? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to love her the worst question here. I'm um, just kidding. Okay, how, do we, how to bring up the conversation about boundaries and dating? Yeah, I think, like, just talk about it. If it feels like it's a weird thing to talk about, like, that should probably be a little bit of a red flag because there should be that room to have open conversation. I think, like, one of the things that I often think about that, like, how far is too far question, it's, like, it's just totally the wrong question because when we're yeah. talking about these gates, it's, like, how far can we actually get back from the gate so that yeah. we don't yeah. get to that place? And I think, like, oftentimes people can roll their eyes at boundaries and things like that, but... The, the great thing about them is that it's all about, like, knowing where you won't go so you can get where you do want to go. Yeah. And so I think, like, just having that conversation of being, like, aligned of, like, okay, this is what we actually want for our future. Like, let's, yeah. let's be unified in that. Yeah. We'll keep you from just slipping into it over time. That was a good answer. Um, next question. How should a girl make the first move? I will also add... <laughs> I'll, I'll also add... Um, Absolutely. Like, we live in a world where 
girls can make the first move. Uh, based on almost all of our conversations with women within our church, girls are still waiting for guys to make the first move. Right or, right or wrong, that's what's happening. Um, am I just saying a bunch of bad stuff? Um, but ba- based on what I know about, about relationships, and now like having done this for a decade of just like answering the same questions year after year, is I also think before we answer this question, guys need to just step up. Uh, if you can't put yourself on, on, on like, like on, uh, uh, at risk of being rejected, you're missing out on the very first principle of love, which is the risk that you will be rejected. That's what makes love possible. Otherwise, it's coercion, and the cops will show up at your house because you have somebody hostage. Like, like ri- there is a risk in love because of rejection. That's what makes it beautiful, is that, like, Emma could wake up tomorrow and not... Is there another microphone? Like, what is happening with Jackie's? Sorry, Jackie. Hello? Okay, I'll do that in a second. Um, how should a, a girl go about asking? There, there is a scenario where that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I would just say, like, like, what do you have to lose? A lot of the time, I think it, you can have this whole thing of, like, well, what if I get rejected? And But, again, that never goes away. Like, I think that there's there's this thought that once you get into the relationship or once I get married, I'm safe from rejection. But rejection is actually something that exists in all relationships at all times, in friendships and family and relationship. And so, like, what do you have to lose? And, again, there's also so much room between, like, Literally just going up to someone and saying, like, hey, do you want to go on a date? And actually just, like, getting yourself around that person. Like, I think sometimes people are afraid to even just put themselves out there of, like, hanging out with some of the same people that those people hang out with and being around them. You seem like you've got something to say. <laughs> talk to you. I just remembered a story with us, and, like, it's very applicable to this moment. When I first told Beth that I liked her, she lived in Hamilton, and I would drive down to Hamilton uh, during one of them, my summer terms at school. And uh, I wanted to make it really clear early on, like, hey, I'm not driving 45 minutes just to, like, hang out. I'm obviously interested in you, and I like you. And she was, like, kind of, like, not sure where she was with stuff. And uh, I remember we drove, and we had, like, lunch at this place called Dimitri's. It was, like, a dessert place, and we ate uh, this dessert. And then it was, like, raining, and, like, we ran back to the car, and I took my, like, jacket off, and I put it over her head, and, like, ran to the car. And we drove back to the house, and we were sitting in her driveway. I was just like, hey, like, I just want to, you know, be up front with you. Like, obviously, I'm driving all the way down here because I'm interested in you. I really like you. I can see a future together. I want to get to know you more. And I don't know. There's just something about you that I'm so drawn to. And I pour out my heart in the car. And she goes, um, okay, thank you. And then uh, that was it. That's all she said. And she's like, yeah, I'm just not really sure, uh, you know, what the future looks like. And then she got out of the car and went inside. And I was just like, what the heck? <laughs> so rejection is a real possibility. And it can still work out. Doesn't mean the end. No. No. That's also important to say. Yeah, yeah. or not this person likes you because you could possibly waste two years of your life chasing somebody who doesn't want to be with you and then you blame them that they like didn't pick up on the signs and it's like be forthright speak your speak your mind 
I mean, there's a couple of guys in our church that have dated almost every girl in our church and are still a part of our church. And I, I'm like, kudos to those guys that didn't, like, ruin every girl in our church, yeah. still dated most of these girls, and then ended up in a happy marriage. And I'm yeah. like, that's better than just, like, being like, I hope that they, oh, no, these guys are leaving because they're, like, so upset. Aaron, <laughs> you still be my friend? <laughs> I think they're surfing somewhere. Um, <laughs> It's always my nervousness when we're talking about, like, hot topics, and then people start leaving, and it's like, oh, man. Um, actually, I don't, I don't really care anymore. Um, okay, here's the thing. We got a few questions, and I just want to deal with it, and then we're going to jump into maybe one more question after this. We got a few questions um, that came in around the LGB, LGBTQ plus community, and I don't know, like, I wonder if, like, sometimes people are just looking for a soundbite uh, from me or from us as pastors, like, just say it so that we can, like, know where you stand with it. We can cancel you. And, I, like, I don't know because some of them are, like, just bluntly say what it is. And I'm, like, what? Like, every time you see this within Scripture or somebody's, like, trying to pin Jesus, he's, like, not happening. Like, uh, and he, like you see this. He's just, like, as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. Like, not happening. Not putting this on. But I want to just tackle one question that it's, like, oh, you're leaving, like, the, the big one for last, aren't you? Um, I want to just tackle this question quick, quickly. Is sexuality a choice, or are we born straight, gay, etc.? If born like that, wouldn't that mean God created us gay, and we would, and we should be free to love and marry who we want? So I just, I just decided, you know what? Rather than just like take a few, there wasn't that many, but a few of the questions that just came in that were trying to like, it just honestly felt like it was trying to pin something. Uh, I, I just want to take like maybe the hardest question and deal with that. Is that okay? And hopefully that will bring clarity to some of the other ones. Um, and I also, I also just want to say that um, last week's message laid the whole groundwork for this question to be answered. So even if you feel like I'm being vague in any way, go look at last week's message to know how we end up in this place. Does that sound good? Are, is anybody born gay and therefore does it just mean that God like wants you to be gay? Well, what I would say is that we are all predisposed to different things. Like We're all born with certain predispositions. Um, what, as we stated last week and as we, we explored last week, because it just wasn't a statement, is that the, the Bible seems pretty clear that um, sex is reserved between one man and one woman uh, in a marriage context till death do us part. That, that is like the Christian view of sex. Now, um, you might say, well, th- this pastor says that or this denomination says that. Sure, there's a percentage of churches and pastors that would argue, argue that, but that has only occurred in the last 30 years. Like, we're not talking about 2,000 years of church history here. So we have to, like, we have to, find, ourselves, we have to find ourselves in the context that we find ourselves in. If I was answering this question 100 years ago, you wouldn't be able to find that pastor, that denomination, because nobody looked at the Bible and said it says anything different than sex is reserved between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage till death do us part. Like, that, that is what the Bible lays out for us. So from that perspective, um, things outside of that, the church would regard and, and the Bible would regard as sin. And so we are all predisposed to different sins. And if we think of this from the perspective that, I mean, I grew grew up in a family uh, with 60 cousins, and I mentioned this last week, and, like, honestly, like, a lot of them deal with alcoholism. This is a predisposition in my family that I am, like, freaked out about for myself because I see it in my family. For whatever it is, the context, the sin nature, whatever it is, they're more predisposed towards alcoholism. But I would say that somebody that is predisposed between, uh, uh, towards alcoholism should probably avoid that for, for their own health and their own sake. 
Now, when it comes to, like, sexuality, let me start with myself before I start with the world. I, and I said this to Emma, and I'm like, am I allowed to say this? She's like, yeah, that's fine. I don't, like, can I be honest? I, I don't know if I am, like, predisposed to monogamy. If I wasn't a Christian, like, I don't know why I would get into marriage. Other than, like, maybe some social benefit of, like, maybe it could work for taxes, or maybe I was just, like, tired of all the drama. Like, that might drive me to marriage. But, like, the way that Brandon was wired growing up and into his teen years, like, if it wasn't for Christ, I wouldn't be monogamous. Like, I wouldn't be, like, choosing Emma day after day after day. But honestly, there's a part of me that dies inside when that thought comes to mind, like, man, that person's really attractive, and I wonder if something could. I have to put to death that thought because Brandon's been called to monogamy through my relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore extended to Emma. And I can tell you that that's the best decision that I can make day by day. So if somebody is predisposed, do I believe that somebody is, is made that way? I don't know. But what, I, what we do know, and scripturally and theologically, is that through Adam and Eve, sin came into the world. And now there is, there is a sin nature inside of each and every one of us. And we're all predisposed to different things and different urges and different desires and different things that we wrestle with. And the question about whether or not God makes us that way, I think that God made us as Adam and Eve. Pure, blameless, holy, to be in relationship with him. Because sin entered the world, we all kind of got messed up in some way. And all of us are predisposed to some different um, way of doing things um, or, 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 or believing things about ourselves or identity and that sort of thing. And what I would say is just because we have a predisposition doesn't mean that we have to walk in that way. And what I would say is that it might just take as much restraint for the person that is feeling a same-sex um, attraction as, as myself. Or maybe, like, again, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't, I don't feel the, like, um, I'm not, like, walking around. I'm like, if I wasn't a Christian, you know, that person right there would be a good option. And I don't think that that's the way that any, all, all, any of sexuality really works, is it? It's, it's, this, it's a stronger desire. It's this thing that seeps in. It's this thing that goes, you know what, true to my nature, I don't know if this is the way it am, but I submit it to Christ, and I submit it to his ways. And so the thing is, is that, yeah, even if, even if we're wired a certain way, we have to ask bigger questions about whether or not that is the way that it should be. Uh, in the Bible, you see, like, polygamy is, like, pretty much, like, widespread in the Old Testament. But as one theologian said, um, the Old Testament is a case study in why polygamy will jack up your family. Like, there's no situation in the Old Testament where polygamy actually worked out for any of those leaders that we look up to. And so can God use somebody that is dealing with different sexual attraction? Absolutely. He did it within Scripture. Is that the wise way to live? Is it a way to live submitted to God? It depends on how entrenched you are in that worldview. I will say this, and this might offend people on the other side. So I might have offended some people that are like, you're not, like, not going to say like, same-sex is, is, is of God. I can't say that. After 2,000 years of church history, I answer to God, not to our church. And I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm responsible to be faithful to what he said, not to what we want to say as a church in our, in our day and age today. Now, on the other side, I might offend somebody by saying this. At one point, a transgender individual came to me and said, hey, can I be baptized? And we asked a bunch of questions, and I, I ultimately baptized this person. And you might go, what is wrong with you? I th like, I thought we were on side with you, and now I don't know if I like you at all. But here's the thing. Like, I really believe that in a world today where people are struggling with sin, and it's so entrenched within people, and people are told it's okay to, 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 to sin, it's okay to live this way, it's okay to have this identity, it's okay. And, and not only are they getting it from the world, but they're also getting it from the church. 
What we have to understand is that people are all in different journeys when it comes to their sexuality, their identity, and everything else. And what I would say is that in this situation, my main question is, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you, do you submit to him your entire life, and are you willing to reject sin as Jesus convicts you of it? Yes. Okay. Because I have baptized many men that have a raging addiction to pornography. And I didn't say, hey, when you get that cleaned up, we'll do the baptism thing. I have, I have baptized many, many men and women that struggle with greed, which is talked about 10 times more in the Bible than sexuality. And I didn't say, hey, once you start giving to the church, you greedy little bum, then I will baptize you. I say, do you believe in Jesus, and are you willing to submit to him as he convicts you of your sin? And we baptize people on that. You look at, um, in the Bible, this eunuch is saved and then, and then baptized by, by um, uh, what was the, uh, the apostle? Say it again. Philip, that's right. I, was, I kept wanting to say Peter. Philip is baptized by Philip. I mean, most theologians believe that this eunuch had some different sexual identity than what was, was different than, uh, um, uh, uh, is it cisgendered? I'm learning all these terms, terms myself as we go through this world. And, and, and yet he's baptized. Like, I mean, if you know what a eunuch is, I'm not going to get into it. Like, he's still baptized. And so what I would say is, like, in the world that we live in today, the question is not, like, what is your statement on this thing? Guys, this is a church that is accepting of anybody and everybody. Does it mean that we are affirming of every lifestyle? No. We can't do that. Um, we can't do that based on what we, and be biblically faithful and, and scripturally faithful and historically traditionally faithful to what has happened in the church. But are we welcoming to everybody? Absolutely. I think where the church gets into trouble is when we say we're welcoming to everybody. And, and we don't know what our stance is on things, and then people get deeper and deeper involved, and they just, they just believe that they're um, affirmed in everything that they're doing, and then all of a sudden that blows up in churches. But I think the way to do it is say, hey, this is where we are as a church, and you're welcome here. The same way some of you are sleeping with people that are not your spouse or you're not married to, the same way that some of us are still not giving back to God out of what God's given you, even though it's, it is, like, very commanded within Scripture, the same way that some of us are still um, living in unforgiveness to some of the people that, that, that even go to our church. And it's like, you can't forgive others? It says Christ isn't going to forgive you. And yet you're still able to be here. You're still welcome. We're still all on a journey. And God is still convicting, it, convicting us and leading us into greater sanctification. Does that sound good? That's like trying to avoid the soundbite but also being as clear as possible. And honestly, like, this is like, like I'm like, I don't know, I'm a pastor, um, and, uh, and first and foremost, I have to follow God. I'm not, I'm not here to follow culture, and uh, our culture will come up with a new thing that it wants us to accept two months from now. And the truth is, is that I'm going to God's word to figure out what he says. I'm not going to culture to figure out what I'm supposed to believe about God, and that's a real big definition, and we have to understand, yeah. Okay, that took a little bit longer. Sorry, guys. I think that's probably good. Was this Okay. Um, good. Listen, um, I think one of the things just to just point out is, like, we have actually some courses that we do, Slate School, on some of these topics. Um, and you can sign up for that. So you can actually message through our uh, Connect Card online and message about whatever that topic might be and say, hey, do you have a course on this? And we can send it to you. Like, we've, this isn't the only time we've talked about this as a church. Um, the second thing, it, 
excuse me, um, in this next year, we're going to be running some more marriage-type things, whether it's a marriage night or a marriage retreat or that sort of thing. And we're going to be talking about this a lot more than just on a Sunday. And uh, what we try to exemplify through these five weeks as a church is that relationships have far more to do with sex and sexuality and marriage. And uh, it actually also has to do with our coworkers. And relationships have to do with our friendships. And relationships have to do with the way that Jesus died on the cross for us and showed unconditional love. And so as we walk out of this place and we finish off this series, um, just know that relationships on, in their many forms matter to God. And the way that we interact with those relationships really matter to God. And it can either build the church or take away from what we're doing as a church. And so let's continue to build strong relationships as a church. Before we close here, we've just got a couple of minutes. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to uh, talk. You guys can take your stools, I guess, and whatever you want to do there. But I just want to ask the question, like, um, the truth is, is that um, the reason why we exist as a church is because of the relationship that God has with us. And we always want to give some level of an opportunity for those of you that are here and you're going, you know what, like, um, this Jesus that I've been hearing about while I've been here is, is a Jesus that I want to put my faith in. We always want to give a space for that. And so with every head bowed and eye closed in this place, if you're sitting here and something's but just been gnawing at you and you, you just have this sense that, that God is the one that, that you want to be following. I, I can say this about following Jesus, is that it's not always the easiest path, but it, it is the path that leads to life and fulfillment and the, and the, the deep desire that we, we long for inside of our souls. And so if you're here today and you're going, I, listen, I don't know where I stand with God, but I, I want to I commit today to following him. Um, I want to invite you to make a decision to follow Jesus today, just like to resolve in your spirit that you want to follow Jesus today. And uh, what I can say is that there's, there, as much as there's nothing like magical about this, this is the most important um, thing that you can make up in your, in your, make up in your mind and in your own soul is where, where you're going and the direction that you're going. So if you're here today and you're going, hey, like, I don't, walking into this place, I don't know if I could explicitly state that I want to follow Jesus. What you need to know about Jesus is he died on a cross for your sin so that you could be brought back into relationship with him, with the Father, with, the, the, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so that you could walk with them through this life. Not just that you could get a ticket into heaven, although that's part of this, but that you could actually walk with him on this side of eternity. So with every head bowed and eye closed in this place, if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you have and you're just going, you know, I want to I want to make sure that I, I'm committing my life in that direction. I want to recommit this. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, could you just raise a hand and say, hey, I want to make that decision today. I'm not going to point anybody out, but I want to know who I'm praying for today. Amen. Thank you. Is there anybody else who's just going, hey, today is like, like I want to make sure from this moment forward, like that is... My compass is in the direction of Jesus, that, I, that he's my guide. He's the one that I'm following. Amen. Church, why don't we pray? Jesus, I thank you for um, these individuals that have made this decision today. And God, I pray that you would show them that there is so much more life in you, and there is so much more that they can experience in this life from you. God, this walk isn't easy with you. It sometimes means dying to ourselves and dying to our natural, like, desires and, and humanity and our sinful desires and all the rest. But God, you replace it with something so much more fulfilling. And so God, in this place, I pray that you would be, um, that you would be glorified and that Jesus, you would be um, uh, lifted high in this place. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those that are making a decision today? Okay, I feel like that was like a lot. Uh, and I've got to do that two more times today, so pray for us. Um, 
Guys, go in peace. Have a great week. Make sure that you're still gathering with your local. Make sure that you're still leaning into God day by day. And let's make sure that we come back next week as we dive into the book of Philemon with a bunch of excitement and and, um, expectation of what God's going to do in our church over the next little while. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.